Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Thanks, sponsors, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, ComC.com, Heritage Auctions, Huggins Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Upper Deck, Panini, and Tops. I was on Hobby Hotline about a week ago, so you'll see some references to the recent March Madness, so I thought I'd get this out. The episode's already been published, as always. I strongly encourage you to not just listen to the whole thing after the fact, but if you're not doing anything extra special on a Saturday morning or a Tuesday evening, pop in for a Hobby Hotline on the Bench Clear Media Network on Saturday mornings. Rotating co-hosts, Danny Black was the quarterback, and Adam Palmer and I were there as panelists to answer questions, the issues of the day. The issues we talked about, main themes, of course, we're on for about an hour. This is, I think, 12 minutes. We talked initially about the NIL situation as it applies to March Madness, and then talked about not just social media etiquette, but I guess etiquette in the hobby. I think it's better for business if you're kind. On the other hand, there's some people out there that want to be noticed and want to do that by controversy and sometimes negativity. If you're a heel or you're a hero, you can have a following. I think it's better to do the right thing. Some of the wrestling heels are actually pretty good people in real life, just like some of the hockey goons. Some of the goons are really stand-up guys. They're not just going around trying to beat people up. They're protecting their superstars if you talk to them. Anyway, any rate, here it is. Outtakes from Hobby Hotline. Check it out in its entirety. Thanks, Adam and Danny, and thanks to all those who called in and commented in. Are we going to see cards for the players before the tournament or after the tournament where they're going to have real value? My friends that get real involved with college sports recruiting, there's promises made to these athletes when they come in. And they're literally guaranteed, in many cases, five-figure or six-figure, even seven-figure NIL money without any regard to where that's going to come from. They're just guaranteed. And I don't know if it's coming from a booster or whatever for a personal appearance kind of thing. So when these young basketball players get these guarantees – this is a way to monetize it with other people's money and not from the boosters. These things have to be in the works. If they're not contemplating memorabilia and card stuff, they're really missing out. So I hope something's in the works because it's in the news. Now, having said that, if you're a newspaper person, if something happens last night, how many of the papers this morning are not covering Purdue's upset by Farley Dickinson? It's all going to be in there with photos. Okay, how's it different from a card set? They could do paper sets, pictures, ink on cardstock. I don't know that they can turn autographs and game used overnight, but they literally could slice and dice because the screen grabs are there for photography of some of those blocks at the end of the game. All the Farley Dickinson guys were just playing at hyperspeed and the Purdue guys just lost heart doing slow-mo. Anyway, you could capture photos from that, have it produced this morning and pre-sold today to be shipped today or tomorrow. Again, I just don't know if that's going to be of great interest without the autographs. Maybe you'd have a chance to get an autograph that would be redeemed at a later date. I think the NIL people are missing the boat if they're not hitting the memorabilia and card market hard. The thing that's going to get attention and be newsworthy is going to be good for our whole industry. Couldn't they print a hundred teams and just eat a couple. The hobby is counter instinctual. So let's say last month they 
get releases from all the teams they think might be in March Madness. As we know, only 68 got in and four of them were very briefly (laughs) involved. So they got 68 teams. They picked 100. They don't need to do it in advance unless they're going to do autographs and game used and things like that. And probably not even game used, but player worn, let's say. Here's the issue. When the 68 teams get through, would they throw the other 32 teams in the dumpster? I don't think so. They'd be short prints. They're not going to throw away assets. Now, if it's a paper card of a player that didn't do anything, a team didn't make it, maybe those go in the dumpster. But any game used or autograph stuff from, like Adam says, in the NIT or just a good player that might be drafted. And what we found out from Farley Dickinson is that you shouldn't be picking favorites in advance. You've got players <laughs> there that you would not have thought the one guy wouldn't even a starter. My feeling on these cards is I think at some point, like prospecting, and I always look at the Bowman first, there is a market for prospecting somehow at some level. The question is, is does it need to be in the pro uniform for sports? Because college baseball cards don't really sell or are not popular. So do we feel that we need the pro uniform? And I think most of the sets that don't have the pro uniform don't touch in price and popularity. Dr. Beckett, do you care if they're in a uniform? No, they're worth less, but not worthless. Mm. (laughs) They're just worth less. But still, if it's an early card of a guy that goes on to great acclaim, it'll be worth something. It won't be worth maybe as much, but who knows? Maybe that could change. 40 years ago, the Star Company came along. They're much maligned in some circles, but really, it's a lot easier to do team set bags in terms of the distribution. And that would work really well, perhaps with some random chase element in the bags. The chase element in the Star Company basketball is you don't know what the centering is in the cards (laughs) that are in the middle of the bag. You could try to shimmy it and try to figure it out, but you really can't. So somebody could do something like that because the Star Company, that guy was really pretty smart. It's way easier to print distribute, manufacture, set it all up with these team set bags. And if you're looking for Farley Dickinson sets or cards, are you going to buy a whole box and get one card in the box that's somebody, or would you want to buy the team set? There's a little bit of a March Madness fantasy aspect to it with your bracket, is that maybe there's some kind of redemption thing like the MVP promotion that Topps did, that whoever wins, those sets are redeemable for something. See, that would be great. That would make every team a chase because you have your alumni base. You have the alumni base for the Fairleigh Dickinsons who are going to buy them regardless of the win and then would buy them like crazy today. And then, of course, everybody's convinced their team's going to win it all. I like buying the team bags for the minor league teams for baseball also. Same idea. In the team store, you get that little pack. And I've got a Jackson Holiday minor league card. I don't know who prints it. but It goes in the college bookstore. There's a lot of avenues Mm. for a single focused set. And the alums, and same thing. Non-pack-pulled cards generally are worth less. They're not worthless, but they're worth less than something that you're taking a chance to buy a pack, and maybe you'll get it, maybe you won't. Yeah, because I mean, Tops could sell those team packs as a 
print-on-demand set. They could use images from the NCAA tournament. I know there's images they could get. As soon as they get those 68 teams, they have three or four days to put together something potentially. Unfortunately, like if you're a Purdue fan or an Arizona fan, you may not want to buy that set because you're devastated that your team lost. But if you're a Princeton or a Fairleigh Dickinson, you may be running out to buy that to commemorate this important moment in sports. We did Danny's idea that in advance, they took orders for 100 teams, whether they were going to get it in March Madness or NIT or whatever, they took orders for those 100 teams. And Farley Dickinson, there were only pre-orders for 37 sets, mm. which is the aunts and uncles and the players and the <laughs> right. super fans. And so you've got 37 sets now to go. Purdue, there's 10,000 sets that were made, but you have to pre-order it. Before the games, just like you got to fill out your bracket before the game. I think you get some excitement because now they say, how many brackets are still viable for perfection? Maybe close to zero. With a 15 and a 16 both winning, who would have picked both of those? And if one player comes out of it, that would be an extremely valuable card. That's cool. Tops would have an idea of the top 30 teams. Interesting point. The way they do it with the conferences, in some ways, it's almost easier to predict some of the smaller conferences than the bigger ones. Could print, I think, a lot of the teams. Okay, so You'd have to because today is the demand. If you wait until tomorrow or Monday, let's say for sure, either Farley Dickinson is going to be and Princeton are still going to still be news or they're going to be an asterisk of a historical footnote of an amazing Upset. Two amazing upsets. Like Steph Curry with Davidson. Perfect example. Can you imagine if that card would have been available? It would have been like crazy. Michael says you could take the autos and transfer those to next year's NBA set as insert rookie RPAs. Is cross-marketing. It's a great idea for the guys that will make the NBA. One of the challenges of the NCAA tournament is very few of the guys are actually going to make the NBA. So that's why giving them a card is cool. Dr. Beckett, when you switched into content creation, as a learning curve or decision about how you wanted to approach your shows, did you think positive? Did you think neutral? We're talking about etiquette. We're not talking about illegalities, uh, breaking laws. (laughs) I hope we're not even talking about dishonesty. We're just talking about maybe not giving full credit. And it reminds me of traveling in the NBA, this Eurostep thing. It's not in the rule book, but the NBA has not told the officials to crank down on traveling because it promotes the athleticism and the highlights that are seen every night. So what Adam is talking about is perhaps adding friction to some of the people who want to just play fast and loose and not give credit. Mm. I agree. It's not good. But is the NBA or anybody want to crack down on it when it's allowing for more, easier, less friction to get things out there and to propagate and to grow? And so I think that's the whole thing of social media. If it's bridled, that's not as good as if it's unbridled. And so I'm with you, Adam, it's for etiquette to borrow or take something and pretend as if it's your own or your discovery. There ought to be proper attribution. 100% agree. U.S. Sports Card says social media drama seems to be wild, wild west, and I'm okay with that. Some people do it for fun. Others do it for money. It is the wild west a little bit. I'll agree with that. And that's not specific to the hobby. YouTube, for anything right now, I'm always reminded by a good friend of mine, no matter how many views you think you get on YouTube, there's a snake eating a cricket somewhere with 10 million more. In the Wild West, there were gunfights. 
And you were the <laughs> yeah. fastest gun, and then you had a gunfight, and you got killed by the other guy yeah. that was faster that was coming through town. So nobody's dying here, but there are showdowns and a lot of posturing. So again, Adam, I'm with you. I think proper etiquette sometimes is ignored. Yeah, unfortunately, in a situation like this, the post in question probably got more engagement because of the drama sort of that it has created rather than if there had just been tagging that had gone on in the first place. And I think it's just unfortunately, I try to use social media to enjoy content that I like, but sometimes I get enthralled in the drama on the internet, to be honest, because it's just interesting. It's one reason why the Jersey Shore, for example, I think it's one of the best shows of all time because it was so outside of the life that I lived and there was just drama all the time. And it's why people like reality TV, just because like whether the drama is real or the drama was created by the producers, like edited that way, people just enjoyed the drama. We're all in a giant reality show right yes we know some of the other actors and there's good guys and bad guys there's heels <laughs> but it's unscripted negativity sometimes sells but it's like my wrestling analogy if you're a heel in one of the wrestling federations you've got to be interesting if you're a jerk you've got to be a jerk in an interesting way if you're going to lose you've got to lose in an interesting way there has to be some substance there. Otherwise, you don't have a following. So you have to have some shtick. And so a lot of these people, Adam, we're talking about, have a shtick. They have something that sets them apart, and they're rubbing some people the wrong way, a lot of people the wrong way. But that's their sense of being a heel, I think. Maybe it's just the way they really are. But most of these wrestling guys are not heels in real life. And that's a Huge point, because I think not all hobby content creation is real life either. I think and they're playing a part. They have a persona. I, yeah. And my weakest point in content creation was when I lost my patience with somebody in the hobby. And I will say that my etiquette there was not what I wish it would have been. But um, it did. It, something rubbed me the wrong way. And I think this person enjoys playing a heel. And it was probably on me to ignore it. If less people engaged in it, there would probably be more positivity that we could all share. The if social some, media yeah. world, Danny, if half the people love you and half the people hate you, that's a recipe for success. What's not a recipe for success is 10% of the people love you, 10% hate you, and 80% don't care. So yeah, I think to be polarizing like, sells. The man that 